0: During this period, we've had huge ups and downs. It hasn't been a straight line. But overall, there's no question that Michigan is a far better state today than 2010.
1: Michigan is a far better state today than it is in 2010, at least according to Rick Snyder, who is the governor of this state and who will leave office at the end of this year. That is a line from his 2018 State of the State speech, and it's where we want to begin the conversation today. I first met Rick Snyder nine years ago as a very early dark horse candidate for the Republican nomination for governor. And after I met him, I got to be honest, I completely dismissed him. There were too many other well-known Republicans who were saying they were going to run. And Snyder's message was too compromising for most GOP voters. But I was wrong. From the time he aired his famous Super Bowl commercial to the next year when the election happened, Snyder won everything, and he won it very handily. Eight years later, we are about to say goodbye to Governor Snyder, which is inspiring a lot of reflective analysis about his legacy. There's one thing for sure. Snyder will be remembered for a long, long time and for many, many things. But what will stand out? Will it be for accomplishments like the Detroit bankruptcy or for spectacular failures like Flint? Will the state's economic turnaround overshadow everything? What will it be that Rick Snyder is remembered for? That's what we're going to talk about today. And of course, we want to hear from you. What will you remember most about this past eight years while Rick Snyder has been Michigan's governor? What are the things that stand out And do you think there's one thing that overshadows everything else? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Joining me first to talk about Rick Snyder and his time as governor of Michigan is Bill Ballinger, a publisher of the Ballinger Report and a very long time political reporter and observer here in Michigan. Bill Ballinger, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Glad to be with you.
1: Yes. So let's start with this. Uh, Rick Snyder ran as an outsider, as somebody who was not part of the political process. And he told us when he was running that that would be an advantage. That would be a way to bring both sides together around sensible legislation and move the state forward. Eight years later, it's kind of hard to remember that guy at all, I think. But I'm wondering what you think that meant. In other words, uh, was he able to be that person? Was he able to play that role? And is that one of the reasons he was able to get things done in Lansing.
2: Steve, I think you put your finger on it earlier when you pointed to the Detroit bankruptcy and the Flint water crisis. Those were the two things that happened during Rick Snyder's eight years as governor that caught international and national attention. Um, the Detroit bankruptcy went relatively well. I think we would all agree. Um, the Flint water crisis, not so much. Uh, yet, Rick Snyder grew, drew really very little credit, got very little credit for the Detroit bankruptcy, but he got a lot of discredit for the Flint water crisis. And that colored his image and reputation. It drove his favorable numbers down, his unfavorable numbers up, his job rating down, his job rating... Uh, <coughs> that might have made people look at him now as having been a successful governor. And to answer your last question more directly, I would say Rick Snyder obviously made more use of something that uh, had been available to previous governors, but they had not used that much, and that is the power of the emergency manager. Mm -hmm. Rick Snyder came into office in 2011 and, uh demanded the legislature strengthened the emergency manager law that Michigan already had on the books. And then he took that emergency manager law into Detroit and in the with mixed results as we have seen. So that's the way I'd sum things up right now, but there's more to the story and only history will give us the final verdict.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so put Rick Snyder in context, first of recent governors, uh, Jennifer Granholm, John Angler, Jim Blanchard, uh, and then uh, further back into history. How will he rank? Will he stand out from the others because of the, the, the very high-level Uh, newsworthy things that happened while he was uh, governor, or is he just one of the faces that will be up on the wall?
2: Well, it's hard for any Michigan governor as long as they serve. I mean, England served 12 years, uh, Granholm 8, Blanchard 8, Milliken served a record 14, Mm -hmm. uh, and now Snyder has served 8. It's hard to just call them faces up on the wall. I mean, I think enough things happened during their tenures, all of them, uh, and some of the governors obviously before them, like uh, George Romney and G. Uh, and Williams, that, you know, we're, we'll have to uh, say that all these people had major successes and major failures that deserve note. How, uh, Snyder ranks in this pantheon of governors, where he ranks, I think that's still open to question. I doubt if he'd be right at the top, although maybe, you know, in a decade or so, uh, he will have put some things in place that bore fruit, that people will look back and say, you know what? Uh, that guy Snyder, uh, may have been uh, a nerd as he himself described himself, uh, but he really, uh, knew what he was doing and he, and he got some things started or done that we didn't give him credit for. Maybe he deserves more than it looks like he got at the time he left office. Mm-hmm. But right now I'd say, you know, he's, he's a mixture because He's somewhat of an anomaly. Uh, he doesn't really have, never has had a strong grip on the emotional base of his political party, the Republicans. Uh, and on the other hand, I don't think Democrats have ever felt really comfortable with Rick Snyder, Snyder. They still see him as uh, somebody who's partial to the corporate world and the business uh, outlook on things, and they don't trust him on uh, a lot of social, cultural issues. So he doesn't really have a home as much as, let's say, John Engler did in the Republican Party or Jennifer Granholm did in the Democratic Party. Uh, so I think we're just going to have to take a while longer to figure this one out. Uh, he's more of a mystery than... I think probably any of our governors in the last half century leaving
1: office. Mm. Uh, you know this this idea of him being a pragmatist. I think uh, I have gotten to know the governor well enough to know <clears throat> that's really important to him. That that he, he would he thought of himself uh, before he was governor uh-huh. as somebody who looks at problems and tries to find solutions. Uh, irrespective of political party or favor. Uh, and I think he would like to say now that he governed that way. At the same time, that that very dynamic has emerged time and time again as a source of conflict and difficulty for him. Uh, what's your assessment of, of how well that worked, uh, this idea of pragmatism in state government?
3: Well, I do
2: think that he did consider himself, does consider himself a pragmatist, as you say. But, you know, when somebody says that, it's not as though it's an absolutely neutral term. Uh, Generally speaking, uh, somebody who views themselves as a pragmatist comes at uh, problems from a particular point of view. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I think Democrats, for instance, and those on the more liberal side of the spectrum would say, Well, yes, Snyder may have, you know, approached things pragmatically, but uh, they were always pragmatic to him through the prism of, you know, his kind of pro-business, pro-corporate view of the world. It wasn't really necessarily a natural, neutral uh, approach that was pragmatic in the sense that ideologically you couldn't really characterize what he finally did as either uh, conservative or liberal. So, uh, again, I don't think pragmatic is necessarily a neutral term. And, you know, I think that probably caused him some problems in the sense that uh, he set himself up to say, you know, my decisions, uh, nobody can really criticize for being partisan or for being biased or for being slanted one way or another. And yet some people would say, well, and wait a second here. You made certain decisions that uh, really looked to us like they were slanted in uh, a certain way. Let's say right to work. He signed a right to work law in late 2012 after saying it was not on his agenda. I think it's pretty clear he really did not want to have to sign it, but for various reasons he did when the legislature, which was republican control, sent it to him. So, you know, I think that's one of the problems when you say you're pragmatic. I, somebody I would describe uh, in the Metro Detroit area as very pragmatic would be Candace Miller. Hmm. Uh, Candace Miller um, has achieved a reputation as being very pragmatic, I think, and is doing, by all accounts, uh, you know, a pretty good job as public works commissioner in Macomb County after she was in Congress a number of years, uh, to the point where, you know, a lot of people are wondering whether she's even going to have any competition when she runs again in 2020. Uh, She comes from a Republican background, uh, you know, a more conservative background than you would have thought Rick Snyder had when he got into politics. And yet, over time, she's really achieved a reputation for being uh, pretty much a a pragmatist of an unbiased sort, That whose decisions a lot of people uh, respect and who seems to do things on a very common-sense, pragmatic basis.
1: Mm. Uh, You know, I also wonder whether... Snyder's stated approach to the job and to, to the campaign, the that original campaign in, in 2010, uh, whether it changed politics in Michigan. As I said in the open, this is a guy who beat a, a, a number of very well-known, very well-established Republicans uh, in that initial primary. Uh, he held the office for eight years over over huh? Democrats. Um But does he he leave the party maybe seeking yet another kind of politician like that uh, in order to to get the governorship back, or uh, is he one of a kind?
2: I think he's one of a kind. I do not think he has affected Republican politics uh, to the extent that they would be looking for a Snyder-like model to succeed him. I don't think so. In fact, you might even make a case that it would be the opposite. That they're looking for somebody more like an Engler, uh, not necessarily his personality or his character, but his ideology. I mean, Engler had kind of a strong conservative base, but he, uh, you know, had a, a way of projecting it that rubbed, obviously, a lot of the electorate, uh, Democrats in particular, the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But the Republicans like quite a bit, and you know I think the, the Republican Party is going to be looking more for that type of a political personality. Uh, somebody like a Candace Miller, who you know you could argue based on what I just said, is the most liked Rick Snyder of all the Republicans with any kind of statewide name recognition extant right now she might be somebody who could succeed Snyder as a statewide candidate and be somewhat like him, although I think in a more likable and incredible way than Snyder was. But I have some doubts that that's ever going to happen. I don't think she's really interested in doing that, and I don't know who else there would be. Uh, So at this point, you know, the answer to your question, I think he's kind of one of a kind. He's somewhat of an anomaly. He was when he arrived on the scene, Mm -hmm. as you pointed out. And I think he is when he starts. He's still, uh, when he leaves, he's he's somewhat of a mystery. Hmm.
1: Okay, Bill Ballinger, publisher of the Ballinger Report, longtime political reporter and observer here in Michigan. Thanks very much for being with us here on Detroit Today.
4: My
2: pleasure.
1: All right, up next, we're going to continue our conversation about Governor Rick Snyder's Legacy. We're going to talk with someone who represents Michigan's businesses and someone who lobbies on behalf of the poor and get their takes on the last eight years. Also, remember, if you have to miss the, any of the show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. We'll, uh, you can listen to us when you are ready. Take us wherever it is you're going. Also, stay with us on the phones. Tell us what you think of the last eight years of Rick Snyder being Michigan's governor. 313 577 1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We are talking this hour about the legacy of Governor Rick Snyder, who is preparing to leave office after eight years uh, as our governor in Lansing. Uh, People are starting to think about what he will be remembered for for doing or not doing, what parts of his administration will stand out after he's gone as indicative of the kind of leadership he offered us over eight years. We really want to hear from you this hour as well. What do you think uh, is the notable part, the most notable part of Rick Snyder's administration here in Michigan? What do you think uh, is the thing that he will be remembered for positively or negatively the most? Uh, as he walks out the door in Lansing, as always, the number on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation that we're having here. Joining me now to talk more about what uh, Rick Snyder accomplished and didn't accomplish over the last eight years are two people who come at this from very different vantage points. Sandy Barua is the president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, Sandy, welcome to Detroit Today.
0: Good to be with you both.
1: Also with us is Gilda Jacobs. She is the president and CEO of of the Michigan League for Public Policy. Gilda, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, good morning. Uh, So I I wanna start with the economy, which is, uh, I think was the story in Michigan when Rick Snyder was running to be governor and certainly was during the first few years. Uh, He came in with a very specific plan for getting the economy going faster than it was. Uh, Sandy, uh, how much of what
0: he did in economic terms will define his legacy. So I think he has been a transformative governor, especially on on that front. I mean, I think all you need to do is really look at the numbers. Southeast Michigan in July of 2009 had an unemployment rate of 17.9%. We all remember those days. Uh, We are now today essentially at the national average. And if you would have said, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago, that, you know, Southeast Michigan and the state itself was going to be at or below the national average for unemployment, you would have thought that we were smoking something that would have been illegal. Hmm. <laughs> Which is no longer illegal, by the way, <laughs> as I've, he goes out the door. <laughs> exactly right. And the other thing, I mean, you know, just just, just look at look at our state budget. Uh, You know, we had a rainy day fund uh, eight years ago that wouldn't have funded the government through an episode of the Big Bang Theory. (laughs) Literally, we had a rainy day fund that would last less than 30 minutes. It was essentially no rainy day fund. We're now well over a billion dollars. And that is good. And we have paid down a substantial amount of debt. So when you look at the state's credit rating, uh, we are substantially stronger than what we were before. Uh,
1: Gilda, I I wouldn't imagine that you would uh, dispute any of the facts about what was done and what the numbers say, but I think uh, you would present it in a different way and from a different vantage point, that there are other numbers about our economic recovery that maybe stand out to you.
3: Sure. Thank you, Steve. Um, where I do recognize a lot of the economic recovery that uh, our state has um really enjoyed over the last number of years. Um, And I think, you know, honestly, I think part of that can be attributed also to what President Obama was doing. I think that, you know, we just can't say it was just totally um, uh, Rick Snyder that that helped with this turnaround. Um, There are still so many families that are struggling every day to make ends meet who are not feeling this economic recovery. In fact, policies have been Pass over the last number of years that have really curtailed benefits. Um, that asset tests were created uh, for uh, for certain benefits, and folks are cobbling together two three jobs at a time in order to make ends meet. So the economic recovery um, has been spotty for for a lot of folks that. Um, really are still part and could be part of the economic engine in, in our state yeah uh,
1: let's go back to the very early days of the Snyder administration and that 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 plan that he unveiled to try to get the economy going faster at the center of that plan was a tax break for businesses 1.8 billion dollars worth of tax breaks he paid for that by raising taxes in other places he paid for it by in impl- uh, implementing a pension tax uh, that we didn't have before he eliminated some things that the state was paying for for people uh, at the bottom of the economic ladder the one that stands out to me is the earned tax earned income, income, uh, income income tax credit uh, the, at the state level um, th- this idea that that um, uh, his idea at the time was we need to ha- ask everyone to sacrifice in order to, to get moving better uh, in a better direction but that business needed the break because uh, the tax system, the tax burden in the state before that was discouraging growth. Uh, How do we think that turned out over, over eight years?
0: Andy? So several things. So uh, when you talk about the pension tax, let's remember that if you walked at, worked at Walmart or at a diner uh, your entire career and made the same salary or less than someone who had a union pension, you were taxed on your retirement benefits. But if you were someone who got a, a pension, you were not taxed on it. And I think that just created a system unf- of unfairness where depending on where you worked, you got a different level. Of taxation, so I think what the governor did on that respect is essentially create a level playing field in terms of retirement taxes. Well,
1: action. you could have leveled it in favor of so, not taxing, those but actually,
0: people. and he did. So part mm-hmm. of the tax mm-hmm. reform act that he uh, implemented is that household incomes of roughly forty thousand dollars essentially pay no Michigan tax anymore. And that was not something that existed before. So essentially lower household, lower income households in the state of Michigan were now exempt against from tax. You talk about the business tax, and I understand, listen, you know, everyone likes to say, you know, let's, let's tax businesses, you know, because they're kind of nameless, faceless, and, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just they're, they're, they're just an easy target. And trust me, I know, because I have that target painted on my back, you know, most, <laughs> most days of the week. But look at it this way. Michigan was not on anybody's list for capital investment. 8 years ago it just was not we were not on anyone's list I listen I ran the uh, economic development administration for for the United States for several years under President Bush and I can tell you which states were attractive and which ones weren't which ones site selectors were looking at and which ones weren't Michigan was not on anybody's list the combination of several of the policies that the governor put in actually put Michigan in play so if you believe that the number 1 uh, a social service program that you can put in place is to give someone a good job at a good wage, this is the, this is the path that allowed more people to get good jobs at good wages. I will say, I agree completely with Gilda uh, in her opening remarks that there are still people in our society that are not benefiting from that. But that is not just happening here in Michigan. That is a national trend. When you look at the data from uh, you know people with college degrees, people with some college, and people with only a high school degree, in terms of how well they did after the recession, after the recession ended in about 2010, those with... Uh, just a high school degree or less are still struggling, and that's not in Michigan. That is in forty nine other states. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gilda, go ahead.
3: So, um, you know, it is it is a national crisis. But the fact is, I think we still could probably do better in in Michigan to try to um, close that gap. Honestly, I believe that we really need a graduated income tax in our in our state. I think that really makes sense. Uh, perhaps someday we'll be able to do that. Um, that's why the earned income tax credit is such an important um, uh, tool, if you will, for low-income folks. And it was reduced as part of the, the tax reform uh, to 4% of the uh, the federal earned income tax credit. So, you know, folks, for, for, for many people, that may have been four or $500, which is, for a lot of families, really a game changer. So I, I still think there are things that we can still do, to, to try to close that gap. Um, you know, our, unfortunately, our schools are still, you, you know, if you, if you compare our schools to the rest of, you know, uh, or the rest of the nation, they're not where they, they ought they're to be. They're not
1: performing the way um, they should. And,
3: and, you know, we really have to do a better job. If we really want to, uh, one, bring the folks that are at the bottom up, we need to improve the their education opportunities. But also, you know, we know as we try to attract Um, young folks to to Detroit and to Southeast Michigan, if they can't put their kids in good school systems, they're not going to stick around Mm. or they're going to end up sending their kids to to private schools. So there's still a lot that needs to be fixed, that would help everybody. And that's what really we're, we're all about, making sure that everybody has the opportunity to thrive, not just different slices of the economy. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I'll just say I agree completely about the income uh, earned income tax credit. I think that is a beneficial tool. Uh, the national government uh, over the years and various states have used that to great effect, and, and I'm a big fan of that. I would say, though, that, you know, the earned income tax credit impacted far fewer people than the structural change that the governor put in that kind of essentially exempted Michigan tax from household incomes of, of less than about $40,000. I think that was actually far more beneficial. Would it be nice to do both? You know, I, I, I think Gilda and I would not disagree at all on that. The other area where I really agree with Gilda on is, is the education challenge. I mean, you know, I've said this publicly, uh, you know, that, you know, Michigan is a losing team and a losing league when it comes to public education. You know, we, uh, we are not doing as well. Uh, in fact, we're losing ground vis-a-vis our state competitors across the country. And frankly, the United States is losing ground vis-a-vis our OECD competitors uh, nationally. And that is just not a good place to be. When you look at communities and states that are thriving. They're the ones who are doing the best on talent development, talent attraction. We're doing a much better job on talent attraction, especially here in the Detroit area. I mean, we're, we're attracting millennial, smart, educated people, which is great, which is wonderful. A lot of them are going to go work for places like Dan Gilbert or the auto companies or Blue Cross Blue Shield. I mean, these kind of very, you know, uh, kind of destination employers, if you will. But we have a lot of people here in Michigan who are the lifeblood of this state, the lifeblood of the city, uh, who don't necessarily have the up-to-date skills that are necessary to compete and win in the 21st century.
1: And so how much do we lay at uh, Governor Snyder's feet, the, the- the the lack of movement in the state over eight years uh, on education. He did not inherit an an educational system that was performing at the top. It's not as though this developed on his watch, but the progress is really hard to spot.
3: Well, actually, it started with Governor Granholm, where there was what people had thought was sort of a one-time diversion of uh, money from um, the uh, school aid fund. To the universities and community colleges. Well, unfortunately, that became the norm. So we have diverted multi millions, almost a billion um, for um, um, you know that, that has been that we've lost in that uh, uh, K twelve budget. It's gone someplace else. So what happens is it goes into the general fund, and then there's less money in the general f- fund for other, uh, for other for providing other services. Yes. So that's something that we that I that I hope that the uh the Whitmer administration will not be doing. Uh but it's really had a devastating effect, quite honestly, and we should you know, we, we really need to correct that that use. Yeah.
0: Well, I would say, Stephen, if you want to hold the governor responsible for the state of public education in Michigan, then you need to give the governor. Whoever you he, make him
1: responsible, he, which we don't do, Which right?
0: we don't do. No, that's exactly <laughs> right. I mean, it is. I think it is exceptionally unfair to hold this governor or any other governor in Michigan responsible for the state of our public education because, you know, we have a superintendent of public instruction, which, you know, uh, I think our governor has— has generally had a good relationship with, but we also have a State Board of Higher Education, uh, which I would say that, uh, you know, has not developed a good relationship with the governor and been at odds most of the time. And, you know, I know that our organization, which cares deeply about education, K-12 through and higher ed community colleges and universities, you know, we certainly have significant issues with the uh, uh Uh, the elected board of education in the state. Yeah.
1: Uh, This is uh, Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Sandy Barua, president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. Also with us is Gilda Jacobs. She's the president and CEO of the Michigan League for Public Policy. We're talking about the legacy of Governor Rick Snyder, who is preparing to leave office after leading us for eight years in Lansing. Uh, we want to hear from you about what you think about those eight years, the things that stand out, the things that should stand out. Uh, is there something that stands out more than other things? Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313 577 one zero one nine. The phone lines are jammed, but if you keep trying, we will try to get you through. Uh, no surprise that a lot of people have thought about <clears throat> Governor Snyder as he prepares to leave office. Let's start with Liz in Wyandotte. Liz, what's on your mind? Hi, can you I, hear me? I can. All right. Um, I think no matter what else Governor Snyder did, he is always going to be remembered for the water crisis. Yeah. No uh, matter what. Yeah. Liz, uh, I, I, I mean... Uh, I put you first for a reason. I think uh, that that issue and the continuing problems, frankly, with that issue are, are something that are going to tail him forever. And I think it's fair to say they derailed a pretty significant part of uh, his time in in office. Once that happened, everything was different. Everything he wanted to do, I think, was seen with more skepticism uh, than it was uh, before. Uh, at, the, at the beginning, and it was at the very beginning of that second term. So we really have had about four years of him trying to recover from that politically as the people of Flint are trying to recover from the crisis itself. Um, take a, take a, a swing at that, uh, Gilda. I, I, I think of- Liz is
3: right. Um, that tarnished, honestly, his, his legacy. Um, this was such a, a crisis. um not only for for Flint and uh, the folks that lived there, but it really was a canary in the coal mine for other communities that that had, water had issues. that had yeah water issues that are you know these are issues all over our state. And then you know we saw nationally other communities realizing that they indeed had had lead problems. So you know there was such a ripple effect with uh, with what happened in Flint. And, you know, these are kids and and families that are going to be affected for generations. And, you know, we we just don't even know what what the future holds um, for some of the folks that have been affected by by that water.
1: Uh, Sandy, most people who I think have had time to think about the Flint water crisis and how it happened and what happened— come across the idea that there was a lot of uh, deregulation and pulling back of government government over oversight that happened when uh, Rick Snyder was first elected uh, there was also uh, a beefed up emergency manager law which allowed the state to come in and uh, deal with economic problems in a in a very aggressive way in local in local governments, setting the, the, the local officials aside, um, those things are popular among conservatives, those, those policy imperatives, this idea of economic oversight uh, as well as deregulation. Uh, can you divorce those from the Flint water crisis in any way?
0: Actually, I, I think yes, because, listen, I, there, there's no doubt that the Flint water crisis has significantly impacted uh, the governor personally and, you know, and politically. There's just no doubt. For those, of, for those people who know the governor well know that this has had a profound impact uh, on him in a, in, a, in a very real way. One, I would just say that, you know, part of this governor's style is that he is kind of the anti-politician. And those of us in the business community like that about him, right? He's very pragmatic. He wants to get things done. Uh, but not, being, uh, not having kind of a political bone in his body and knowing him fairly well, I can say that safely. He does not have a political bone in his body. Uh, you know, the Flint water crisis was a crisis that he had a hard time Dealing with a traditional politician would have, you know, shifted blame someplace else because, Lord knows, there were so many players involved in here, and it's not like the governor was the one who was saying, "Hey, let's put bad water in the you know taps of uh, of, of Flint Flint people." I mean, he relied on. All these experts at the federal level, at the EPA, at the state level, within within the city of Flint to assume that the water that was being used in Detroit that you and I drink every day, which we're very appreciative of, was going to go to Flint. So why would that be a bad thing? Obviously, there were, you know chemical reactions that, you know, people who should have known didn't know or didn't think to test or didn't think to test in the right way. I don't view that as a deregulatory thing. I mean, those are basic things that the US EPA, the Department of Um uh, 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 natural resources uh, at the state level and the people within the city of Flint. I don't care about the emergency manager, but you know the people who are cur- were currently working in the city of Flint at the time at the water treatment plant. All of that, sh- someone somewhere, and many people along those lines should have been doing their job. I actually kind of applaud the governor for saying, "Listen, you know, even though he wasn't the one who was." behind the scenes, you know, uh, mixing the levers and, uh, you know, uh, putting chemicals in the water. You know, he took responsibility. and I just don't see politicians take responsibility for that. That does not negate the terrible situation that the folks in Flint are still enduring. But at least we had a politician who stood up and said, listen, I'm the head of the state. This happened on my watch. I'm going to take responsibility. And one of the things coming out of it is, is that Michigan now has one of the highest standards for water quality anywhere in the country. Right.
1: But but again, I mean, one of the first things he did when he was in office was— uh, peel back the DEQ in terms of uh, employees there. I mean that 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 seems a direct uh, uh, to see it seems to have a direct direct link to something like Flint and and again the emergency manager, law, which which you know I'm somebody who who reads the 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 Home Rule Cities Act and the state constitution to absolutely give the state ultimate economic authority over local. Uh, units of government, and I think really the, the, the statute that they wrote was just an expression of that. But the way it's been used, I think, uh, has gotten us in every case except Detroit uh, and Detroit government. It's gotten us some pretty pretty uh, strange uh, outcomes. Isn't there isn't there a need to to think about the sort of policy implications of something like Flint, and not just see it as a as a singular uh, failure?
0: oh no uh, listen if, if Flint was a huge error where real people paid a real price and if we're not learning from that experience and shame on all of us so I would agree completely that we do need to learn from this uh, you know obviously my experience with the emergency manager was uh, was Michigan because it happened shortly after I moved here and uh, I, my experience here in Detroit with the emergency management worked incredibly well. I mean, look at this city today. Uh, I mean, it has provided a platform for Mayor Duggan to be a, just a transformational figure uh, in, in our in, in our city and our society. Again, I'll go back to what Gilda started with. There are still people who are not benefiting uh, from the transformation that's occurring in this city and this region, but we are still so much better off than we were before. Hmm. Gilda?
3: Um. You know, if you actually look at the history of the emergency manager law, you know the voters went passed a law. So they didn't want it. And um, then that that law that was passed was undone and and tweaked in order to still allow emergency managers to operate in in the um, in the state. But I think that uh, credit really does go to the governor for working with uh, with Mayor Duggan and getting Detroit. Out of bankruptcy. I mean, that was huge, and I think that's an important, a really important part of uh, uh, of the governor's legacy. What he did was pretty remarkable, and I don't know if um, a very political governor would have been able to have done that. Um, so he really does deserve a lot of kudos for helping to uh, to manage that to course. Her.
1: Taking it on and, and done it the way he did. Okay, uh, and, and just one last thing. Yeah, you know,
0: uh, obviously the Flint thing was was, was terrible in terms of the, in terms of the water, and you can't overstate that. But if you look, if you were able in some magical world to divorce what is happening in Flint on an economic development front versus what happened on the water, you'd see that Flint is actually doing quite well uh, economically. I mean, I mean, uh, comparatively, it's starting right? to build. It is starting to build. I mean, you're seeing institutions, you're seeing the city government. I think Karen, uh, Mayor Karen Weaver, has been uh, has been a tremendous driving force there, working with the state. I think organizations like our counterpart organization, the Flint Genesee Chamber of Commerce, uh, the Mott Foundation. I mean, they have aligned themselves very similar to the way the public, private, and philanthropic set- uh, 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 sectors have aligned themselves here in Detroit to really move Flint forward. We think about Flint with the water crisis, but we really should be thinking about Flint also with uh, the transformation that has occurred there. And, and we need to give credit both to the local and state officials that have helped make that happen.
3: In
1: philanthropy.
3: And philanthropy, Absolutely. of course. Yeah.
1: Uh, let's take a, another quick break here. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion about Governor Rick Snyder's legacy. And we want to get to more of your calls. The phone lines are full, but if you want to join them, 313 577 1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guests are Sandy Barua, President and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber, and Gilda Jacobs, who is President and CEO of the Michigan League for Public Policy. We're talking about the legacy of Governor Rick Snyder, who's preparing to leave office after eight years. As our leader in Lansing, we want to hear from you what you think his legacy is or the, what parts of his legacy stand out for you more than others. 313 1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page uh, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Let's go to Jim in Detroit. Jim, welcome to Detroit Today.
4: Good morning, Stephen. Hey. Uh, I think the governor... Uh has a long list of really incredible failures in education and maybe one success in that area. The EAA or the Education Achievement Authority became a nationally known disaster uh, in state reform districts. Uh, it was so bad that when they closed it nationally, it's not even spoken of anymore. That's true. Uh, ed reformers try to pretend it didn't happen. It was that bad. Uh the impact on education in Detroit was became a national proof point of what not to do. Uh Detroit has the unique distinction of being the lowest performing urban school district in America. It has the uniquely dysfunctional characteristic of having clusters of what uh we in the education research community call double zero schools. These are schools where third graders are zero percent proficient in both reading and math. And
1: math, sure.
4: It, it is an incredibly negative distinction, which can be fixed. This isn't all negative. Uh, Dr. Vitti is, you know, doing the best he can to make corrections. But one distinction that's incredible uh, the NAEP is a national assessment of schools. Uh, on the NAEP, using the Stanford time scale, Detroit students have a one hundred year gap. Yeah, no, I know. These north. are
1: these are these are all really important stats, Jim. I, I wanna quickly move you along to what you think the one uh, victory is for Rick Snyder in in education before later. Uh, a
4: little bit controversial but but I believe that his focus on third grade reading is a highlight hmm. for him in education. I think it's incredibly important. That more attention uh, third grade reading is actually more important than we actually know yeah. it is. Yeah, it Jim, is incredibly important.
1: Jim, I, accre- I appreciate the call and the comments, Gilda. You had uh, a follow up to
3: that. Yeah, I mean, but the big but, Jim, to this is that there has not been enough money that's been appropriated to adequately make sure that kids are reading by third grade. So I, th- I think the intention is terrific. We actually supported. Supported that, but we've been very unhappy with the fact that money has not uh, followed, and we have too many kids right now that we think are going to be held back, mm. and that will have devastating effects on those kids for years to come.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with Jim completely on the third grade reading. I mean, uh, up to third grade, you're learning to read. After third grade, you're mm-hmm. reading to learn, uh, and that is a a huge benchmark. Uh, I would say that uh, again. I'm going to repeat what I said earlier. If you want to hold the governor responsible for the performance of public schools, you need to give the governor, whoever he or she may be, responsibility for the public schools because right now they don't. And regarding the EAA, I mean, the EAA was certainly an experiment. It was based on some kind of leading edge practices, uh, obviously politically uh, and, you know, kind of from a PR standpoint, it did not go well. But Detroit was-
1: mismanaged from the beginning and underfunded, I think, as well.
0: And, you know, but I would say this, Detroit had the lowest uh, NAEP scores prior to the EAA they had the lowest NAEP scores after the EAA, the EAA didn't you know cause that it was a an ex, you know it was an experiment based on some best practices at the time the execution probably wasn't as good as it could have been but at least we were trying something new and different you know and a lot of those kids actually liked that system that you know the system where there are levels as opposed to grades there wasn't kind of automatic grade promotion you just finish your time you go to the next grade you kind of achieve different levels and there's a lot of schools that are you know especially private schools that that use that model very very Effectively, yeah,
1: yeah. I think they do it with a little better administration and a lot more money. That was the thing
0: that uh, I felt like EAA.
1: When you're dealing with a population that's as deprived as the kids who are in that uh, that system, and just you another really need to fund another it. Qu-
0: you know that our organization believes. I mean, you know, uh, you know educating students is uh, is not going to cost the same amount. Uh, depending on you know right. what that background of that student is, yeah. and really know, if, if we really want to you know uh, address some of these challenges that we face in society, it is ensuring not that every student gets the same number of dollars, but every student is successful at their K through twelve, so they can get to the next level of yeah. education. Yeah.
1: Uh, let's go to Lawrence in Livonia. Lawrence, welcome to Detroit today.
0: Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks hey. for taking my call. I sure. appreciate it very much.
4: Go ahead. Yeah, Sandy, uh, sorry to say this, but the electorate in this state is not stupid, okay? We know that the governor robbed Peter to pay Paul. That's why there's a billion dollars sitting in the bank right now. In 2014, when he was running for re-election, I distinctly read read the article, and it was either the Free Press or the Detroit News, that zero of his policies that he passed in the four years that he was in office had anything to do with the rebound of this state. And this state lives and dies by the auto industry. Thank God for the federal government for coming in and bailing out this state and the auto industry.
1: uh, Lawrence, I appreciate the call. I don't think Sandy ever insinuated or said that uh, voters are stupid. Uh, I I, I think the the question was how much credit belongs to the governor for the economic uh, turnaround and how much belongs to the national government uh, for the turnaround that was taking place nationwide also for the auto bankruptcies right uh, which really kick-started our local economy again here in michigan
0: you know i uh, listen I, I i appreciate the call and i i you know everyone has different perspectives i would just say this that you know when uh depending on what your political perspective is you trying to give Different levels of credit to different institutions. I remember uh, when I was in Washington, and you know the national economy was doing very, very well. Uh, the then governor of Michigan blamed everything on uh, on the federal government, right? You know, people <laughs> like me, and you know, and, and I've laughed with Jennifer Granholm about this, uh, you know, good-naturedly. So everything was was Washington's fault. Now that you know there is a Republican uh, in the governor's office, and you know Michigan's doing well. Now it's all the federal government. Government uh, <laughs> is is responsible for yes, all this. At the more. end of the day, listen, you know, uh, this is a team sport, right? I give—listen, I, I, I obviously didn't work for Barack Obama. I worked for the other guy. I give Barack Obama tremendous amounts of credit for uh, the auto bailout. And I, do, I give Barack Obama credit for lots of different things. One of the things I give Barack Obama a lot of credit for is the same thing I give credit to Rick Snyder for is that the dignity, the— uh, the the respect that they had for the offices that mm-hmm. they held, right? I mean, I not I may not have believed in everything that Barack Obama did, but I appreciated his style and his approach, the way he treated other people, and I think uh, Rick Snyder is very much cut mm-hmm. from that same yeah. cloth.
1: Uh, Gilda, before we end, we've got about a minute, I want to talk briefly about Medicaid expansion, which I think is another big part of this he, governor's he legacy. Absolutely. Not everybody in his shoes would have done that.
3: Yeah, I mean, he... T- he took a big risk. And Medicaid expansion under him, Help, the Healthy Michigan Act, and, and actually increasing uh, healthy dental for kids as well um, are, are huge uh, wins for him. Hundreds of thousands of people uh, and kids now now can have medical attention. So yeah. that was huge.
1: Yeah. And, and Sandy, before we end, we've got not very much time, but uh, I wanted to bring up Right to Work, which I think again, was uh, an exceptionally, uh, uh, I think, dismissive and almost retributive kind of move, something that we didn't see this governor do a whole lot, but there— on a very core issue to
0: a lot of uh, Detroiters, so uh, right to work was an issue that our organization was neutral on. We did not take a stand on it, and it actually was not part of the governor's agenda. It he was brought that. to yeah. him, right. uh, and actually he actually tried to get uh, the, you know people to kind of try right to resolve of the issue, that, right. exactly right. But it has worked to Michigan's advantage in terms of attracting business. I think we could maybe disagree on that, but uh, we're out of time,
1: <laughs> Sandy Barua He's the president and CEO of the Detroit Chamber, Gilda Jacobs, president and CEO of the Michigan League for Public Policy. Great to have you both here. Thank you, Steve. It's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service of Wayne State University. We will see you tomorrow.